Hi, everybody. This is Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. I hope you're doing well. In the interest of extending our mutual longevity to hopefully its natural span, we are going to take some time today and delve and dive into the entanglements of alliances and problems currently bedeviling any potential for avoiding World War III. There is enough time to act, but we must stare into the abyss and untangle what is going on so that we can inform others and act with uh, decisiveness and intelligence to avoid the natural disaster that uh, overtakes our civilizations and our species, which is the blind escalation in the illusion of security to war itself. This is more truth about World War III. So international tensions have been running high on a wide variety of fronts with credible concerns forming over the possibility of sudden military escalations effectively leading to World War III. Now, while we focus specifically on U.S.-Russia tensions and the truth about World War III, which we'll link to below, this presentation looks at the complicated situation involving the U.S., Turkey, Russia, the European Union, NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, the proxy war in Syria, the Islamic State, Opposition to Syrian President Bashar al-Assad, the European migrant crisis, and much more. Yes, we've compressed an enormous amount of essential information into a relatively short presentation. So Turkey joined the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, on February 18th, 1952. Now, it's not the same Turkey now as it was then. NATO was brought into existence due to concerns, of course, about the military strength of the Soviet armed forces, originally the Russian FSFSR, and then later the Soviet Union, uh, and the communist threat to many Western countries. The most significant component of NATO involves, of course, the provision related to collective defense, whereby member states agree to, quote, mutual defense in response to an attack by any external party. And uh, this... uh, is important. Europe has to some degree been bedeviled in the past by overlapping alliances and the sort of cascading dominoes of uh, one small thing, say the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, leading to a war that kills 10 million people in the conflict and 20 million people afterwards with Spanish flu, starvation and general debilitation due to a lack of resources. So... Of course, the Soviet Union fell some time back ago, but NATO, like all government programs, continues on in its zombie state. So according to a NATO report, quote, by the early 1960s, seven NATO countries, Belgium, Germany, Greece, Italy, the Netherlands, Turkey, and the United Kingdom hosted U.S. nuclear warheads, with France hosting some until 1959. These weapons included many different kinds of nuclear weapons from landmines, I know, I don't know anything about nuclear landmines, but this is what they say, to intermediate-range ground-launched cruise missiles, which um, certainly uh, fall into the category of nuclear weapons as far as I understand it. While the Soviet Union, of course, would eventually fall in 1991, a victim to reality, a lack of price signals and general Austrian economics determinism, NATO and the proliferation of United States-controlled nuclear weapons exist to this very day in places like, huh, Turkey. While not, quote, official, it is widely reported that approximately 50 U.S.-owned and controlled nuclear bombs are stored at Incirlik Air Base in Turkey. Turkey. Well, we'll get to that. So, you know, just to give you a general sense, remember how important it was to have, uh, you know, an Islamic state like Iran never have any nuclear weapons? Well, uh, 97.8% of the population in Turkey identifies as Muslim and 2%... Um, as non-religious. 
A recent Pew Research poll found that, found that in Turkey, 13% of the population believe that government laws should strictly follow the teachings of the Quran. 37% laws should follow the values and principles of Islam, but not strictly follow. And only 36% supported the separation of church and state. So it's a vast majority theocracy country. Uh, how compatible is that with Western countries uh, in, in Europe? I guess if you consider political correctness a form of religion, then there's no separation of church and state there either. The NATO report says, The primary goal of nuclear weapons in NATO policy has consistently been described as political, to deter potential adversaries and preserve peace. Only if deterrence fails do they take on military significance, either as instruments to terminate war through deliberate nuclear escalation or to defend the territory of the alliance. Now, has Europe been threatened with invasion recently? Not, not counting migrants. Uh, the answer is no. And, of course, the migrants are there because the nuclear... Anyway, we'll talk about that <laughs> perhaps another time. So, yeah, it's there to deter potential adversaries, enemies, you know, uh, anyone who, say, uh, tries to create a gold-backed currency that would reveal the European ass-white paper-fiat currency for the nonsense that they are. Former NATO Secretary General Lord Robertson said... The nuclear arsenal in Europe serves to put the U.S. homeland at risk to nuclear attack if NATO is forced to resort to using Europe-based nuclear bombs to defend its borders. This in turn signals to any potential aggressor that the risk of an attack against NATO far outweighs any possible gains. Well, Lord Rob, that is one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is that if, like a lot of fundamentalists uh, in the Middle East, you wish to destroy America's economy, if you attack Europe or cause a war in Europe, uh, America has to come, and then you can fight them there, you know, just in case, uh, inciting them into wars in, say, I don't know, Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria, Lebanon, etc., etc., wasn't quite enough. Congressional Commission on the Strategic Posture of the United States says, quote, Our military capabilities, both nuclear and conventional, underwrite U.S. security guarantees to our allies, without which many of them would feel enormous pressure to create their own nuclear arsenals. If the nuclearization of the Middle East were to happen, Europe would be faced with a neighboring region in which each conventional conflict would carry nuclear escalation risks. See, isn't that interesting? They're very concerned about people in the Middle East getting any kind of influence over nuclear weapons. So inviting them into a country, say France, subsidizing their birth rate to the point where they're going to outbreed and overtake the French population, thus gaining control over nuclear weapons. Oh, sure. Come on, that's just some crazy conspiracy theory. Moving on. Washington Post said, The B-61 bombs in storage at Inserlik are designed to be carried on a variety of high-speed jets, including the F-15E Strike Eagle and the F-16 Fighting Falcon. Each bomb is typically just under 12 feet long and weighs about 700 pounds. So if you want to picture that, just think of like, I don't know, two feminists, like one stacked on top of the other. According to U.S. military specifications, they are stored in underground storage vaults inside aircraft hangars and use control devices known as permissive action links that make them difficult to use without authorization. Huh. Can a brother get an impossible to use without authorization? Because that seems quite important to me that you'd kind of want to focus on whether these nuclear weapons could be used without authorization. Uh, I mean, could you get a sequence of codes? Nothing is truly random. Uh, could you get a sequence of codes? Could you figure out the pattern? At one point, the nuclear codes were 0000, which is like 
password being password with two dollar signs. Oh no, it's actually even easier than that. Don't lean on the zeros! That will eventually be the number of living things left on the planet. Now, Turkey does not have planes capable of delivering the bombs stored at Incirlik, but the questionable stability of the country would lead to continued discussion regarding the value of storing such dangerous weapons. Did you even know that the U.S. has uh, 50 nuclear weapons uh, stored over in... Oh, man. (laughs) I continue to have to do the job the mainstream media just won't do because they're too busy informing you falsely that Trump may have imitated a guy who's got a physical disability. (sighs) The Syrian civil war. Now, we've done videos on this before. You can check for them in the... uh, Search bar. Syrian civil war began on March 15, 2011, and ultimately led to the migrant crisis, which engulfs many of the modern Western media headlines and strikes at the heart of political debates worldwide. And questions of human biodiversity. In early September 2015, the image of three-year-old Elan Kurdi lying lifeless on a Turkish beach shocked Europe into accepting additional refugees, and by Europe we mean women which itself only encouraged more people to make risky trips to Europe, increasing the number of drownings. According to research director Claire Wardle, quote, the photo of Ireland Kurdi galvanized the public in a way that hours of broadcasts and thousands of column inches weren't able to do. It has created a frame through which subsequent courage, coverage has been positioned and compared. According to researcher Francesco de Orazio, quote, for most of 2015, the use of the words migrant and refugees was head-to-head in public conversation, accounting for pretty much the same volume over nine months. 5.2 million tweets versus 5.3 million tweets. Um, and, and by the by, can we stop referring to them as economic migrants? Because economic sounds like they're going to get jobs. They're welfare migrants. They're, they're coming for welfare benefits. Francesco went on to say, from September 2nd onwards, this radically flipped. The numbers swing dramatically towards a clear focus on refugees, 2.9 million tweets versus 6.5 million tweets, right? So the word um, migrants was displaced by refugees, you know, much in the same way that the European population is. Anyway, (laughs) I think we kind of get that. He said Twitter's ability to act as a catalyst has connected emerging stories and relevant people helping to develop and connect those audiences on a global scale and make a story go mainstream before the international press has even started to officially cover it. So uh, Twitter, of course, recently having had just a few troubles with the question of free speech, uh, you know, lots of ISIS recruitment accounts around, and some pedophilia accounts around, uh, but conservatives apparently are not not allowed to be around, conservatives generally being uh, Christian. I wonder why, why Christians would not be allowed as much scope for free speech on Twitter. Well, uh, for those of you who, who, who didn't know, uh, a Saudi prince uh, is actually the second largest shareholder of, Pritter, uh, uh, of Twitter. So your free speech is largely dependent upon the whims of someone named Prince Al-Walid bin Talal bin Abdulaziz Al-Saud. Can you, can you smell the free speech arising from that pyre? Uh, in 2011, he invested $300 million in the social network and now owns 34.9 million shares of Twitter's common stock. And... Uh, Good job, environmentalists, preventing the West from drilling oil in its own demands, because that means you have to send all this money to Saudi Arabia. <sighs> so, yeah, Twitter seems to be fueling the migrant crisis, um, which encourages Muslims to move to non-Muslim countries and have lots of kids, you know, just like Islam tells them to. And 
Nobody talks about So, The photo of the boy, Island Kurdi, galvanized public support for accepting refugees within the Western world. But was the media narrative true or simply a propaganda campaign to push an agenda? Abdullah Kurdi, father of three-year-old Island Kurdi, was tried in absentia by a Turkish court on February 11, 2016, along with two suspected people smugglers accused of organizing these smuggling operations. The Turkish court would later drop the charges without specifying the reason, I guess when he got more famous. So according to CBC, quote, Zainab Abbas, who lost two children of her own in the tragedy, her nine-year-old son and seven-year-old daughter, told 10 News that Kurdi was part of the group that took 10,000 US dollars from her to transport her family of five. As Zainab Abbas said, he was a smuggler, yes. He was the one driving the boat. He was going crazy. Abbas even commented that she was reassured by the other smugglers that Kurdi was even bringing his wife and children along with him on the same boat, a boat which she claims was too full, was driven too fast by Kurdi, and lacked enough life jackets for everybody on board. This allegation would help explain the slew of inconsistencies in the stories told by Abdullah Kurdi. I guess uh, people from desert countries not super excellent when it comes to boating. According to the Wall Street Journal, Mr. Kurdi gave, several, gave different accounts of what happened. In one interview, he said he swam ashore and walked to the hospital. In another, he said he was rescued by the Coast Guard. The Daily Caller said, according to earlier reports, the family's application for asylum in Canada was rejected by Canada, but Canadian immigration authorities told the BBC they had no record of receiving an application for refugee status from Abdullah. Abdullah Kurdi's sister, Tima Kurdi, later admitted the asylum application for the family was never submitted. The rebel media founder, Ezra Levant, said, The Kurds were not in Syria or any other war zone. They've been living in Turkey for three years. Turkey is a democracy, and Kurds are a large minority there. If you're in Turkey, you're not a refugee fleeing danger. Kurdi's sister, Tima, said they were all getting into a boat to go to Europe, not to get away from war, but because Abdullah Kurdi needed dental work. The facts didn't matter. The inconsistencies didn't matter. The motives didn't matter. The mainstream media had its emotional story, which served its preferred narrative, and the propaganda campaign accomplished its objective. So a guy overloads a boat, drives crazy fast, drowns his own family because he wants dental work, which apparently he can't get in Turkey, and uh, suddenly Europe must be a flood in third world migrants because feels, ladies. On November 24th, 2015, Things got a little hairy. Turkey shot down a Russian bomber that they claimed had crossed over from Syrian airspace into their jurisdiction. Three Russians were killed in relation to the incident. The two-man crew, which was killed by ground fire after parachuting from their aircraft. Classy. And another Russian Marine killed in an attempted rescue mission. Russia denies that their aircraft ever ventured into Turkish airspace. According to Russian President Vladimir Putin... This represents a stab in the back by the terrorists' accomplices. I can't describe what has happened today in any other way. Our plane was downed over Syrian territory by an air-to-air missile from a Turkish F-16 jet. Neither our pilots nor our jet posed any threat to Turkey. This is obvious. They were carrying out an operation fighting against ISIL in northern Latakia. Russia, of course, quickly moved to impose economic sanctions against Turkey, banning Turkish food imports, restricting tourism to Turkey. Yeah, because the Turkish hotel owner is totally responsible for the shooting down. 
barring projects with Turkish construction firms without a special exemption and a crackdown on Turkish citizens working within Russia. So, what has the EU response been to all of this? Well, of course, a lot of refugees are accumulating within Turkey. According to News Republic, quote, under an action plan agreed in November, EU leaders pledged 3 billion euros, or 3.2 billion US dollars, in aid for the more than 2.2 million Syrian refugees sheltering in Turkey, in exchange for Ankara acting to reduce the flow, right? So Turkey, keep these migrants from coming into Europe, and here's your shakedown, payoff, bribe, support, aid. I don't know what to call it. Breitbart has reported, quote, a return for Turkey absorbing more Syrian migrants. For long-term settlement, the EU will fast-track a visa liberalization process for Turkish nationals, granting Schengen-style access to European Union member states for all 75 million Turkish residents. Turkey President Erdogan said, We insisted that this visa liberalization will happen on an extremely precise and monitored basis. I insisted on this so that there is no misunderstanding or ambiguity. Kind of begs the question, people, why is Turkey so eager to depopulate itself? Why? I mean, if a huge number of people leave Turkey to go to the European Union, won't that really lower their productive tax base and employed people bringing natural value to their economy and civilization? (sighs) If you go to other countries as a Muslim and have lots of... anyway. United Kingdom IP leader Nigel Farage said, There is, of course, no guarantee that because Turkey has more money to help these people, that it will be able to prevent them from heading onwards to Europe. Even if the 3 billion euros was to prevent the current migrant tide, visa-free access means that will be replaced, if not surpassed, by a new migrant tide. Perhaps the effect of all of this will be a doubling of the numbers getting into the EU from Turkey. Okay, spoiler... Turkey is going to release all of these migrants into Europe. I guarantee it. It's going to happen. You can pay them, maybe delay it a little bit. It's going to happen. So how is this deal between Turkey and the European Union work out? How's how's it been going? Here's 3 billion euros. Make sure you keep the migrants from reaching us. Well, (sighs) European Union Vice President Franz Timmermans on January 11, 2016 said, the numbers are still way too high in Greece. Between 2,000 and 3,000 people arriving every day. We cannot be satisfied at this stage. I believe we need to speed our work to get some of the projects in place. I also said to Turkey's EU Affairs Minister, Volkan Bozkir, what is it with these Klingon names? Anyway, that we need to be very explicit on what elements of the action plan have already been implemented and where we still need work. Right. So, keep migrants out of Europe, two to 3,000 a day. I believe... That's more than zero. Turkish Foreign Minister Mevlut Kavasoglu. Unfortunately, the international community heard our warnings about the migration crisis very late. They only understood the seriousness when the body of tiny Elin washed up on one of our beaches and wave after wave of migrants came to their own doors. Despite Turkey not fulfilling its earlier agreement... The European Union went back to the drawing board and reached another incredibly expensive deal. You know how when you order something on eBay and the guy doesn't ship you anything, what do you do? You just go order more stuff, naturally. (sighs) You know, 
people in Europe are paying their governments trillions and trillions of euros to keep them safe and to secure their borders. And uh, it's actually not that hard to do. <laughs> but for reasons uh, that are quite important and relevant, it's not being done. On March 18, 2016, the European Union and the Turkish government reached another deal where all migrants who attempted to enter Europe via the Aegean Sea, including Syrians fleeing war, will be sent back to Turkey and accepted. For every Syrian returned to Turkey, an already processed refugee will be allowed entry to Europe from existing Turkish migrant camps. So it's really not going to reduce the number of refugees or migrants or welfare uh, beggars coming to Europe. It's not going to do it. How is this a deal? I guess this is only a deal if you're in the government and responsible for nothing whatsoever. Under the agreement, Turkey received another 6 billion euros, you know, from all that big pile of money that Europe just has sitting around with nothing, uh, no unfunded liabilities or anything, and continued assurances of a fast track to joining the EU and a conditional promise of visa-free travel for its citizens to Europe. Yeah, so this whole deal... Uh, here, take this, uh, somebody who's uh, already processed and, quote, vetted, right? They got no paperwork. So basically, they're pretending to save money on imaginary paperwork by bribing Turkey to keep the giant bioweapon of migrants away from Europe for another 12 minutes. Now, over 12 million Turks have said that they plan to come to the United Kingdom once the agreement is finalized and Turkey is allowed to join the European Union. To which everyone who wanted Brexit says, thank you very much. 12 million Turks going to the United Kingdom. (sighs) Wasn't it nice when Westerners had babies? On April 1st, 2016, the U.S. Department of Defense evacuated military and civilian families from Turkey due to increasing terrorist threats, despite claiming that this does not signify a permanent decision to end accompanied tours within the country. So... Yeah, basically, it's uh, they took wives and kids uh, who were accompanying their soldiers, um, I guess three husbands probably too, uh, and, and uh, evacuated them. But, you know, everything's fine. U.S. Navy Admiral retired James Stavridis in May 2016, right? So all of this posturing around uh, Syria and the pulling in of major powers into the Syrian civil war uh, is causing a lot of challenges. He said... Under President Putin, Russia has charted a dangerous course that, if it is allowed to continue, may lead inexorably to a clash with NATO, and that will mean a war that could so easily go nuclear. So, the escalations continue. In May 2016, the United States opened a new NATO missile defense system in Romania, which even the New York Times has admitted increases the risk of nuclear war and directly threatens Russia. On the other hand, by opening a NATO missile defense system in Romania, they were well able to protect the students at The Ohio State University recently. According to Russian officials, the system violates the 1987 treaty that ended the Cold War. The Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty banned land-based missiles within a range of fewer than 3,400 miles. So, if the U.S. is acting in violation of a treaty that ended the Cold War, you think that might be important. But no, Trump said something about girls. Man, I hope everyone wakes up. I'm doing my best. In June 2016, it was reported that Turkey's tensions with Russia were eased 
after Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan reportedly apologized for the downing of the Russian aircraft. And we're going chronologically, not necessarily by story. I once again express my sympathy and profound condolences to the family of the Russian pilot who was killed, and I apologize to them. As Russian tensions with Turkey started to ease on June 17, 2016, Vladimir Putin warned that the continued United States hostilities towards Russia have put the countries on a very dangerous path. We know, year by year, what's going to happen, and they know that we know. It's only you that they tell tall tales to, and you buy it and spread it, spread it to the citizens of your countries. You people, in turn, do not feel a sense of the impending danger. This is what worries me. How do you not understand that the world is being pulled in an irreversible direction? While they pretend that nothing is going on, I don't know how to get through to you anymore. Turkish Harriet paper. This is a somewhat secular paper in Turkey on July 14th, 2016. Just to speak to compatibility between Turkish civilization and, say, Western European civilization, the paper reported, quote, The Turkey or Turkish Constitutional Court has ruled to annul a provision that punishes all sexual acts against children under the age of 15 as sexual abuse, stirring outrage from academics and women's rights activists who warn that the decision will lead to cases of child abuse going unpunished. I wonder if it's child brides from migrants that has anything to do with this whatsoever. Don't worry, they'll adapt to us. We don't have to change. Turkey's age of consent laws are complicated, differing from minors consenting to sex with other minors versus interaction with minors and older adults, but this decision effectively lowers the age of consent for sexual activities in Turkey to 12. Hey, kind of like Mexico. Now, Turkey Federation of Women's Association head Kenan Gwili said, quote, This decision will lead to unwanted marriages. People will be able to kidnap and rape children, many of them at an early age, and prevent them from going to school. We are looking to see whether we can make an appeal to annul the decision. We could go to the European Court of Human Rights. Well, of course, she got massive support from Western feminists who, nope, that never happened whatsoever because they're too busy talking about microaggressions, annoying people who end up coming at them with machetes. On July 15, 2016, well, we almost had a decap in Turkey. The Turkish soldiers commandeered tanks, military airplanes, and helicopters in their attempt to drive President Erdogan from power. The coup involved the bombing of government buildings, including parliament, and killing over 240 people. While the coup failed, Turkey's labor minister, Suleyman Soylu, even publicly accused the United States of orchestrating the failed government overthrow. I guess uh, thus giving permission for Hillary to blame. At least one refueling aircraft from Incirlik Air Base was used during the attempted coup, which led to Turkish authorities closing the airspace over the base, cutting power to the facility and later arresting the Turkish commander at the base. The Center for Non-Proliferation Studies director Jeffrey Lewis said, Does it seem like a good idea to station American nuclear weapons at an airbase commanded by someone who may have just helped bomb his own country's parliament? The weapons at Incirlik are stored in vaults in the floor of the protective aircraft shelters. The shelters are inside a security perimeter. It would, would require someone to enter a code to arm it. It would not be a simple thing to snatch and use a U.S. nuclear weapon. See, I, I want it to be a little bit more than not a simple thing. Um, 
I'm guessing that if they were in America rather than in Turkey, it would be impossible. But um, apparently, if you're having trouble justifying your military presence in Europe because there's no more Cold War, hey, just try and get another Cold War started and everything's going to work out just fine. Now, while the weapons, of course, are under U.S. control and security within the country, what would happen if they were specifically targeted by the host government or the perpetrators of a coup? Could the U.S. forces stationed in Turkey protecting the nuclear weapons sustain the full opposition of the Turkish armed forces? What if, given the lax informational security within the United States government, codes or information related to the codes could be obtained? Could be a traitor somewhere. You could blackmail people. What if some... Anthony Weiner wannabe it has been compromised. I mean, come on. This is not security in my humble opinion. Pentagon Press Secretary Peter Cook on Monday, July 18th, 2016 said, We've taken all of those steps that we need to take to make sure that everything that we control in Turkey is safe and secure. Oh, fog bank. In the weeks following the attempted Turkish coup, President Erdogan's government aggressively purged more than 120,000 civil servants and military personnel whom were alleged to be involved in attempting to overthrow him. Almost 37,000 people were arrested by the Turkish government, many with limited to no evidence suggesting their involvement in the coup. Now, I'm I'm all a big fan of, of getting rid of lots of civil servants, but I just don't think this is the very best way to do it. According to Fox News, authorities have also shut down more than 170 media outlets, detained more than 140 journalists, and sacked elected Kurdish mayors, replacing them with government-appointed trustees. Ah. Wait. Was Jill Stein in Turkey? Ah, I'll look that up later. Following the failed coup, Turkey announced that it was suspending its involvement with the European Convention on Human Rights and the European Court of Human Rights which they are allowed to in wartime or during national emergencies. Now, call me crazy, but I would say that this would be a very good time to make sure that you, you know, respect human rights and so on. But um, I didn't write any of this stuff, so what does that matter? Council of Europe, Europe Commissioner for Human Rights, Nils Musnieks, said, The staggering number of civil servants who have been arrested or dismissed in such a short period of time following the attempted coup, also raise serious questions regarding equity and due process. (laughs) Right. Yeah, you know, like all the due process that's in a lot of these Islamic countries. He goes on to say, he, I think he, I am also alarmed by images showing torture and ill-treatment being inflicted on suspected perpetrators, as well as signs of torture on persons taken into custody, which were published in various media. I will be closely monitoring the situation in the coming days which will be crucial for the future of democracy, rule of law, and human rights in Turkey. So, it's okay, everyone. Nils is watching. So, I guess you're safe. According to the London School of Economics, Turkey is on top of the list of countries with European Court of Human Rights judgments relating to it. Between 1959 and 2011, over 40% of ECHR cases touching on freedom of expression came from Turkey. There are similar warning signs for repeated cases regarding the length of detention and respect for fair trial guarantees. But come on over to Europe. You're going to fit right in. 
This purge was so bad that many have speculated that the coup was a false flag plot by Erdogan himself, fostered as an excuse to rid his country of dissidents, secularists, and any who dare oppose his power. See, only 13% won Sharia law. Maybe you can up that a little if you purge the more secular media. On August 9th, 2016, Russian President Vladimir Putin and Turkish counterpart Erdogan held a joint press conference announcing their plans to reset their relationship following the downing of the Russian fighter jet on the Syrian border. According to Russian President Vladimir Putin, we lived through a very complicated moment in the relations between our states, and uh, we very much want, and I feel our Turkish friends want, to overcome the difficulties. We will bring our relations back to the old level and even beyond. On August 18, 2016, news agency Euraktiv reported that the United States has begun the process of transferring nuclear weapons out of Turkey and into the Devesilu Air Base within Romania. The Romanian Foreign Ministry strongly denied the reports, and Romania's Minister of Defense, Mihnia Motok, later commented, There is no thinking, no plans in this direction. We, we can only call this information a speculation. Unverified, to be fair. So, nuclear war, nuclear warheads. How has the recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize been doing with all of this? Well, the Obama administration has built more nuclear weapons, more nuclear warheads and delivery systems, increasing spending more than any other American president. The projected costs of these escalations over 30 years is more than $1 trillion, which isn't what people were expecting from the man who claimed he would make, quote, the world free from nuclear weapons in 2009. Well, to be fair, to give Obama credit where credit is due, I guess if all the nuclear weapons are in fact detonated, then the world will technically be free of nuclear weapons. In fact, we'll technically be free of having a planet and will basically be turned into an asteroid belt around the sun but he will have been consistent. All right, let's talk about Syria. So Turkey and Russia are on opposing sides of the battle in Syria. Much like the United States, Turkey backs the forces opposed to Syrian President Bashar al-Assad, while Russia remains one of al-Assad's few allies. Russia is clearly concerned about what migrant crisis-like impact the fall of al-Assad would have on the country, given that it shares a border with Syria. So, you know, the bunch of rebels, the U.S. has helped arm the rebels, and these have turned out to be a variety of terrorist groups and other nut, nutbags and nutjobs. And so if they get into power, a bunch of Syrians are going to flee, and of course they're going to try and get into Russia, and Russia's going to face that ugly task of trying to figure this out. So, yeah, it's not outside the bounds of real politics while they're doing what they're doing. The reason for Turkey's involvement in Syria extends to within its own borders and the tensions with its Kurdish population, which makes up nearly 20% of the country. The Kurdistan Workers' Party, PKK, has been banned within Turkey and has gained strength within Syria. The Turkish government has little interest in discussing Kurdish demands for rights or autonomy and is fearful of a civil war within its own country if Kurdish forces continue to gain strength both at home and abroad. Now, that's weird. There's another ethnic group within Turkey causing lots of problems. Uh, Turkey, just, you know, Erdogan, check in your desk drawer, maybe left under, you know, the plans for the uh, false flag coup that you may have had, just a little bit lower down, right there, there's a memo called Diversity is Your Strength. Just read it, and uh, everything will be fine. According to The Nation, Turkey's targeting of legally recognized Kurdish parties is nothing new. 
nationally organized Kurdish parties have been banned on several occasions, accused of being fronts for the PKK, the People's Democratic Party, HDP, a coalition of Turkish socialist and Kurdish parties formed out of the 2013 Gezi Park protests, is regularly accused by the government of advocating terrorism. Turkey resident Ramazan Saki said, Kurdish people are fighting for our rights and Turkey is trying to finish us off. Turkey may give us Turkish ID cards, but they attack us all because we are Kurds. On August 24, 2016, Turkish, Turkish armed forces launched a military operation in Syria with the stated goal of clearing the southern Syrian border of the Islamic State and the Syrian Kurdish Democratic Union Party forces. Yeah. On September 13th, a nationwide ceasefire in Syria was brokered by Russia between the United States and Syrian government. The plan aimed to put an end to the fighting in an attempt to negotiate a diplomatic solution while allowing aid to the existing Syrian population. The ceasefire did not apply to Islamic State forces or other terrorist groups. Less than one week, and we've got more details on a video we'll link to below, but less than a week after a ceasefire agreement had been brokered, the U.S. carried out an attack in eastern Syria that killed forces of President Bashar al-Assad. This attack marked the first known direct United States strike on Syrian forces. On September 17, 2016, four U.S. aircraft, two F-16 and two A-10s, targeted six, six troop carrier vehicles and one tank, against what it believes to be Islamic State insurgents near Deir Ezzor airport. The Syrian military released a statement claiming the airstrikes were, quote, conclusive evidence that the United States and its allies support ISIS and other terrorist organizations. A United States defense official commented that the strike, quote, appears to be an intelligence failure. And you know how, like, movies have those taglines? Okay, U.S. foreign policy appears to be an intelligence failure. U.S. Central Command said, Syria is a complex situation with various military forces and militias in close proximity, but coalition forces would not intentionally strike a known Syrian military unit. The coalition airstrike was halted immediately when coalition officials were informed by Russian officials that it was possible the personnel and vehicles targeted were part of the Syrian military. The coalition will review this strike and the circumstances surrounding it to see if any lessons can be learned. Oh, and thanks for, for those of you who like the different voices I use. The reason I use them is most people, or at least a lot of people, just listen to the podcast, and that way they can tell who's talking. Well, hopefully. The Obama administration said, The United States has relayed our regret through the Russian Federation for the unintentional loss of life of Syrian forces. Pentagon Press Secretary Peter Cook said, while we are still trying to determine all the facts, if we mistakenly struck a Syrian military position, we regret doing so, especially the loss of lives. Russian President Vladimir Putin said, This comes from the problems the U.S. is facing on the Syrian track. They still cannot separate the so-called healthy part of the opposition from the half-criminal and terrorist elements. In my opinion, this comes from the desire to keep the combat potential in fighting the legitimate government of Bashar Assad, but this is a very dangerous route. This situation led to increased tensions between the United States and Russia, with the ceasefire officially falling apart on October 3, 2016. According to U.S. State Department spokesman John Kirby, quote, The United States is suspending its participation in bilateral channels with Russia that were established to sustain the cessation of hostilities. 
bland escalation. So, this is causing some alarm within Russia. From October 4th through October 7th, 2016, Russia conducted a war game which involved 40 million Russian civilians, 200,000 emergency rescuers, and over 50,000 units of equipment. Russia also reportedly built enough nuclear bunkers to house Moscow's 12 million residents, and the governor of St. Petersburg approved a plan to ensure emergency rations of 300 grams of bread for 20 days for each of the city's 5 million residents. So they're alarmed. Turkey President Erdogan's revenge related to the attempted coup has also stretched outside of Turkey itself to those working with NATO in the United States and Europe. According to Reuters, October 12, 2016, quote, Turkey has fired hundreds of senior military staff serving at NATO in Europe and the United States following July's coup attempt, documents show, broadening a purge to include some of the armed forces' best-trained officials. According to an undisclosed source, a Turkish uh, official, Turkey called back certain military personnel and diplomats working abroad after the coup. Those who do not return to Turkey or try to seek asylum abroad must be held to account. We expect our allies to back us on this and not to support coup plotters if they were involved. An unnamed Turkish officer said, There were two orders. The first one told us our tenures were ended. There were 221 names on that list. The second order added more names and said we were all under investigation and should return to the homeland immediately. There were no charges given. Our first reaction was to go back and defend ourselves as we were innocent of any anti-government activity. We said goodbye to our colleagues at NATO. Then we heard that 17 of our colleagues who did return had been arrested, so we thought it would be better to wait. Many are claiming this officer cracked down is the latest in a long series of human rights violations by President Erdogan and are urging NATO to get involved and offer asylum to protect them against unjust imprisonment. Hey, I guess slightly more authentic. We get refugees with paperwork, at least. Turkey President Erdogan. How can a terrorist, a terrorist soldier, a soldier who has been involved in plotting a coup, be employed in NATO? NATO cannot entertain accepting asylum requests of this kind. Colonel Aziz Erdogan said, The common denominator of these victims is that all of them have a Western educational background and secular mindset. Ooh, ooh, I think we, we're seeing a pattern here, people. On October 12, 2016, it was reported that Russian officials ordered government workers, lawmakers of all levels, and employees of public corporations to take their children out of foreign schools immediately and return them to Russia. On October 14, 2016, U.S. Vice President Joe Biden grabbed a girl's shoulders, no, sorry, made comments regarding a reported clandestine cyber attack designed to harass and embarrass the Russian leadership. We're sending a message. We have the capacity to do it. It will be at the time of our choosing and under the circumstances that will have the greatest impact. Russia spokesman Dmitry Peskov said, the threats directed against Moscow and our state's leadership are unprecedented because they are voiced at the level of the U.S. Vice President. To the backdrop of this aggressive, unpredictable line, we must take measures to protect our interests to hedge risks. On Thursday, November 24th, four Turkish soldiers were killed and another ten were wounded during a Turkish-backed Syrian rebel operation within Syria. Turkey assessed that the attack had been at the hands of Syrian regime forces. Later that day, seven more Turkish soldiers were wounded in another attack, but it's unclear which forces were responsible. 
These deaths marked the first Turkish casualties due to Syrian regime forces since the operation began in August, occurring on the first anniversary of Turkey shooting down a Russian warplane over Syria and again bringing NATO-backed Turkey into a showdown with Russia. Turkish Prime Minister Binal Yildirim said, It is clear that some people are not happy with this battle. Turkey has been fighting against Daesh. This attack will surely have a retaliation. Syrian Deputy Foreign Minister Faisal Makdad said, If the Turks want to complain, they should complain to themselves. What happened was inside the territory of the Syrian Arab Republic. Well, don't don't invade Syria. According to Russian officials, on November 25th and 26th, Vladimir Putin and President Erdogan spoke via telephone at Turkey's initiative and, quote, continued their exchange of opinions concerning the situation in Syria, resolution to the Syrian conflict, and coordinated efforts in the fight against terrorism. Marmara University in Istanbul International Relations Assistant Professor Belul Ozkan said, At the moment, uh, Turkey's foreign policy in Syria is hostage to Russia. Russia controls the airspace and Turkish soldiers are 30 kilometers inside Syria. Turkey needs to be in agreement with Russia on every step it takes in Syria. While tensions escalated with Turkish forces in Syria, the negotiations to allow Turkey into the European Union were put up to a non-binding vote in the European Union Parliament. President Erdogan, on November 23, 2016, I want to say in advance, from here, and address the whole world watching on their TV screens, this vote has no value at all, no matter what result emerges. It is not possible for me to even digest the message that they want to deliver. Uh, that clarifies things. On Thursday, November 24, 2016, the EU Parliament voted 479 votes to 37, with 107 abstentions to urge the European Commission to freeze Turkey's bid to enter the European Union. (laughs) The vote is non-binding and appears moot, given that most European Union member states, except Austria, want to continue the negotiations with Turkey. Yeah, you might not want to bring in a country that recently had a close call with a coup. What is notable is that this sends the message that the voting public rejects allowing Turkey into the European Union, while the unelected representatives on the European Commission plan to continue negotiations regardless. Of course, the whole point of creating the European Union was to bypass the wishes of Europeans. That's what collectivism is for. President Erdogan on November 25th, 2016 said, If you go any further, these border gates will be opened. Neither me nor my people will be affected by these dry threats. It wouldn't matter if all of you approved the European Parliament vote. We are the ones who feed three to three and a half million refugees in this country. You have betrayed your promises. Czech Prime Minister Bohuslav Sabotka said, I reject attempts by Turkey to politically blackmail us and any threat to incite another immigration wave. The EU-Turkey deal is built on clear requirements. Both sides have to meet. Europe is doing its part and therefore there is no reason for the current threats from Turkey. Germany spokeswoman Ulrich Zemmer said, Threats from either side don't help. Where there are problems, we need to talk about them. Thanks, Oprah. Migration Policy Institute Director Elizabeth Collett said, This deal has always been inherently fragile and dependent not only on good political relations, but each side holding up their end of the deal. 
As time goes on, we see it becoming more and more fragile, particularly since the coup over the summer. European Council on Foreign Relations, Asli Aydintaspas. Realistically, moving forward is also nearly impossible. Both Brussels and Ankara remain stuck and are playing for time. In reality, most officials privately concede that full membership is not a possibility at this point. Erdogan's latest threat to flood Europe with migrants coincides with intelligence reports of people, traffickers having amassed thousands of motorboats and dinghies along the western coast of Turkey. So I understand this. A lot of people, Italy uh, and, and other countries, you're looking at whether to stay in the European Union. Let me lay it out for you, my brothers and sisters across the ocean. Hands across the water time. Here's what the facts are. The facts are Turkey is going to open its borders and is going to try and flood Europe with migrants. That is what is going to happen. And if you're in the EU and dependent upon Schengen agreements and dependent upon them controlling your borders, you're screwed. You've got a country that has recently gone through a coup, vast majority Muslim, and poor, uh, relatively uneducated, and language barriers, and human rights violations, and arrests, and trials without charges, uh, and an age of consent of 12. So you're screwed. Actually, if if you're 12 and, and, and older, you're probably literally screwed. So that is the reality. They're going to open their borders. So if you want to stay in the EU... This is what's going to happen. If you want to get any control over your borders, you know what to do. I don't even need to tell you. Intelligence expert Athanasius Drogas said, No one is underestimating Mr. Erdogan and his unpredictability these days. These plans, along with explicit threats that the Turkish president has made in recent weeks, have Greece's Joint Chiefs of Staff seriously concerned. They are fearful, and they have told the political leadership here that if Turkey opens the floodgates yet again, Greece, in its current state of financial and social distress, will not be able to withstand the shock. It will spell war or wreak the havoc of one. With Europe in a mess, Mr. Erdogan feels he has a free hand in trying to blackmail the bloc using the refugee crisis as leverage. But don't worry, I say, a lot of the defense ministers in Europe are women, so so you'll be fine. Why is everyone frightened of these migrants? This is cultural enrichment, right? I mean, this is people who are going to come and work and sustain all of the Europeans in their old age by being highly productive tax members of society. Why is everyone looking at this migrant crisis like it's some giant amassed Borg-like bioweapon on the border? Hmm. To ask that question, I'm afraid, is to answer it. This latest crisis and Greek concerns bring us back to comments made by Greek Defense Minister Panos Kemenos in March 2015 as Greece negotiated a possible financial bailout. If they deal a blow to Greece, then they should know that the migrants will get papers to go to Berlin. If Europe leaves us in the crisis, we will flood it with migrants, and it will be even worse for Berlin. If in that wave of millions of economic migrants, there will be some jihadists of the Islamic State too. If they strike us, we will strike them. We will give to migrants from everywhere the documents they need to travel in the Schengen area so that the human wave could go straight to Berlin. If you're being used as a weapon, that needs to be alerted. That needs to be understood. That needs to be fully comprehended by the citizens of Europe. They're being threatened. The migrants are being threatened as a weapon against you. On November 29, 2016, Turkey announced that it was considering a reinstitution of the death penalty, which caused another uproar in the European Union, where capital punishment is universally banned. 
Now, officially, Turkey hasn't executed anyone since 1984. Huh. Read up on Islam, people. Turkey Prime Minister Binali Yildirim said, If there is consensus with other political parties on this demand of the people, limited arrangements can be made. I want it to be known that this death penalty would not be applied retroactively. (laughs) See, if you need to say that, you don't really get common law then, do you? Turkey President Recep Tayyip Erdogan on November 29, 2016, at the Interparliamentary Jerusalem Platform Symposium in Istanbul. In my estimation, nearly one million people have died in Syria. These deaths are still continuing, without exception, for children, women, and men. Where is the United Nations? What is it doing? Is it in Iraq? No. We preached patience, but could not endure in the end, and had to enter Syria together with the free Syrian army. Why did we enter? We do not have an eye on Syrian soil. The issue is to provide lands to their real owners. That is to say, we are there for the establishment of justice. We entered there to end the rule of the tyrant al-Assad, who terrorizes with state terror. We didn't enter for any other reason. On December 1st, 2016, Turkey announced that they, along with Russia, want a ceasefire in Syria, despite the fact that the two nations support opposing camps in the overall Syrian conflict. Turkish Foreign Minister Mevlut Cavusoglu on December 1st, 2016. Our precedents, our views on Assad are known. We know that Assad is responsible for the deaths of 600,000 people. We may at times have different views on Assad with Russia. That is natural, but in general, on ceasefire, on humanitarian aid and a political solution, we are in agreement with Russia. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov on December 1st, 2016. We trust that the new U.S. administration will not want to repeat the mistakes of the outgoing one, which deliberately destroyed Russian-American relations. We will need serious efforts on both sides to overcome the destructive consequences of the anti-Russian policies of the Obama administration. Oh, trust me, sir, guy. Ah, lots of healing needs to be done after the Obama administration. I'm thinking race relations just off the tip of my tongue, but there are a lot more. Europeans are facing a significant number of crises, which, of course, can very easily escalate to to world-level conflicts. The um, precarious financial situation of many European countries, which house migrants, uh, is of relevant import to the rest of Europe. Greece has threatened to flood the European Union with migrants. If it isn't bailed out, but where's the money going to come from? You can only print so much before you end up in the Zimbabwe hellhole of uh, producing basically asswipe fiat paper currency. The migrant crisis in general has yet to be resolved within Europe. It's very easy to solve. You just close the borders, you know, deal with the migrants as you would deal with anybody else who breaks the law. Uh, and it's pretty easy uh, to to deal with. But uh, you need will. And the Europeans have become pretty feminized, over-sentimentalized, you know, a whole generation of men raised by women and educated by women. It's a pretty sentimental lot. And um, sentimentality is appeasement in the moment in return for escalation of problems in the future, to put it as nicely as possible. So there is a proxy war in Syria, just as there was uh, in in Korea, just as there was in Vietnam. Proxy war. The U.S., Russia, Turkey, the Islamic State, Syrian forces, and of course al-Basad's forces, all fighting for separate and sometimes opposing objectives. There is, of course, a flood of arms sales and arming of radical groups in the region, which is going to cause lots of troubles. And uh, the reality is, in general, European civilization is reaching the end of a particular phase. And it is a phase characterized by disaster, right? 
Uh, hard times breed strong men. Strong men breed good times. Good times breed weak men. Weak men breed bad times. We could see that we're in that particular uh, place uh, in the cycle of history. And um, it's my hope that the internet can help prevent the endless rolling of that cycle of history and return things to a more rational basis. But um, we'll see. I'm certainly putting out my efforts. I hope that you will help by liking, subscri- uh, subscribing, and sharing uh, the information that uh, I'm putting out there. The reality is uh, governments make exorbitant promises to their populations. You know, we'll, we'll tax you a little, we'll pay you out a lot, and they go into debt and they you know, borrow and print money to achieve this massive bribery of the population. And then when governments run out of money to fulfill their promises, when the unfunded liabilities have overwhelmed any rational capacity to pay for them, what happens is there's generally a huge amount of violence which takes off a significant portion of the population and allows people uh, or gives people the incentive to accept less from their governments than they were promised because it's an emergency. You can ration in wartime. You can't cut retirement benefits uh, in in peacetime. And so this provocation of conflict is how you cover up the fact that you've been lying to the population and the population has been willingly swallowing and accepting those lies about taxation and what you've promised. Unfunded liabilities throughout the Western world are staggering and enormous. And um, you're either going to have to tell the population the truth or you're going to have to um, end up... uh, well, causing massive amounts of conflicts and civil wars and violence so that people will accept reduced circumstances, which the government can't possibly pay for everything it's promised. They'll accept reduced circumstances uh, because there's so much violence. And it's sad, but this is what happens when you believe the lies of your government and you accept more from the government than it can possibly tax to get you. And also, if you want a bunch of socialist programs, but you don't have kids, well, guess what? If you want socialist programs, but you don't have kids, you're kind of an asshole feeding on everyone else's willingness to have children. And so Europeans wanted all of these socialist programs. They didn't on the kids who are going to be necessary to pay for it. So this is the end of the phase. It's the end of this particular phase. I hope we'll get to something freer and better, but that hangs in the balance at the moment. And this is why Trump is saying, hey, maybe NATO is not such a great idea. Uh, To hell with round three of Americans going over to Europe the third time, uh, I guess, in a century, if 2017, 1917 was when they first went. To hell with going back to Europe for the third time. It is ridiculous. So... Things are going to be interesting. Please inform people. Please learn about these events yourself. We'll put lots of sources below. Please share this video around if you like what I do. Please, please help us out. This research, uh, the equipment and everything, our need for food is is uh, not free. Please help us out at freedomainradio.com slash donate. Stay informed. Stay alert. Stay informing other people. But most importantly, stay safe. <laughs>